willpower. In the Garden of Eden, Adam surrendered our willpower when he ate of the forbidden fruit. Willpower. We, we all struggle with a lot of things. And I've learned a lot about myself in this past week studying for this. Um, my personal struggles and my willpower. I struggle with my weight. I have for a long time. And it's not about the group sessions. It's not about the new pill. It's not about the new weight loss fad. It's, it's not about all of that stuff. It's about choices that I make and whether I eat ice cream after 7 o'clock or if I even eat ice cream or if I eat one more piece of pizza or whatever it may be. And what I have learned is that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus won back my willpower. Through him, he has given me the willpower to do anything. And it may not be food. It could be drugs. It could be cigarettes. It could be alcohol. It could be pornography, it could be the phone, video games, whatever it is. Jesus has given me back my willpower to say no to the devil. To stomp on the head of the serpent. Because Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the first place the blood fell. Hello, my name is Rick Bell. You have just watched the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. I thought everything was good in my life. I had a great job. Still do. Uh, great family. Two boys. 1750 that I'm still very proud of. They're, they're all three. My wife and my boys are my best friends in life. I believed in God, but I didn't have uh, much of a relationship with Him. You know, I'm living life, uh, doing my thing, and you know, I go to the mountains and I'd pray and say thank you. And just didn't have a strong relationship with God, not on a daily basis. One thing I'd like to share with you to before we get really going here is a is a pivotal moment in my life. It was the passing of my mother-in-law, Reba, the most saintly woman I've ever met in my life, the best mother-in-law I could have ever asked for. She was the kind of person that would uh, pick up somebody's laundry form, take them to their house, drop it off, stop at Jenkins, pick them up chicken salad, drop them off. If they were sick, she would take them to the doctor. And she was the most saintly person that I've ever met in my life. And this was three months before I was diagnosed with cancer myself. She was in the hospital dying of cancer. So you can imagine what my wife's going through here. Her mom's in the hospital. <clears throat> and uh, she's dying of cancer. It was about 2.30 in the morning. It was a new wing of the hospital. Uh, no noises outside, quiet as can be. No nurses, no doctors. If there was nurses and doctors, we probably wouldn't have uh, probably wouldn't wouldn't have seen and heard what we what we did in a few minutes later. Reba's laboring; she's in bed; she's breathing hard; she's fighting. All of a sudden, the corner of the room in the window, there's popping sounds. I'm like, "What's going on?" I go to the window; didn't see anything. Nothing outside. It was just an atrium outside. We were like on the sixth or seventh floor, so there's nobody outside this window. So I came back. We're sitting there by Reba. The mini blinds start moving slowly. 
they picked up speed. Now, if my wife had been there and my sister-in-law had been there alone, I'd say they were probably crazy. But I saw this myself. And the only thing it could have been was God coming down to get Reba. Coming into that room, as soon as all this started, Reba's laboring, or breathing, quit laboring. She got relaxed. And that's my first true experience with God that I know of. That's the only thing that it could have been was God coming in to get his saint, get his Reba, and take her back to heaven. So I just wanted to share that. I have not shared that but maybe with two people in my life. So I just wanted to share that with all my brothers and sisters here in this room today. I didn't know what was about to come from all of this and putting the pieces together. But three months later, like I said, I was diagnosed with stage 3 melanoma. Well, most people are like, well, it's skin cancer. It's a bump on your back. That's what I thought. No, it can be a lot worse than that. Actually, it's one of the most uncontrollable cancers that you can get. Stage 3 means it is spread. It's spread to the lymphatic system. Um, they got it in check, in control. Uh, had a couple surgeries, and they determined that, hey, you know, you're free. You're good and you're clean. You can go. And you can't say you're cancer-free till after five years. So, but me being the old John Wayne guy, I'm like, well, I beat it. I beat it. I looked down the barrel and I beat this stuff. I kept going back for checkups every couple months. And everything was coming back fine. So it became routine. You know, you go back once, you're nervous, second, everything wears off. It's not new anymore. I went back with the intentions of going to have lunch with my mother that day in Nashville when I went back to Vanderbilt. Lo and behold, the doctor came in and said, hey, uh, Rick, I got some bad news. This stuff is spread. I said, well, okay, it's spread. What, what can we do? What's the drugs? He said, well, it's spread to your legs. It's spread to your lungs. It's, it's all inside of you. It's even in your brain. Wow, my brain. You know, I mean, just starts making you think some crazy things. That's stage four melanoma right there. There's only one drug that man has found that cures melanoma. It works in 10% of the people. 10%. So if I'm a pessimist, that's one out of ten. Well, that's not good odds. But me, I've always been the glass half full kind of guy. I'm like, well, if I'm at Neyland Stadium, there's 100,000 people there. I'm one of 10,000 people that can walk out of that stadium. So that's how I looked at it. But uh, the odds weren't there with me. The odds weren't there with me. This leads into the second pivotal time of my life. I was diagnosed with a stage four. They sent me home. They were setting up treatments. They were setting up this, that, and the other at Vanderbilt. I got to come back in about three or four weeks. Of course, you're sitting there wondering what's going to happen in three or four weeks while this stuff's just, is it going to go through me? Because if the drug doesn't work, you've got three to six months. That's your time frame. So when I came back, I was invited by an angel that works with my wife that goes to your church to come to this church right here, Church of the Harvest, which I call my church now. I was invited by an angel that works with my wife to come to a uh, healing service, Billy Burke. Billy Burke. I'd never heard of the man. I do my little thing and I go home and keep to myself. I'd never heard of him. I'd never really heard of the Church of the Harvest. I've lived in Cleveland all my life. But it was a healing service. And I, I didn't know of God having, you know, the capability of healing. I'd always known churches like a for more of your salvation. So a healing service, I was like, well yeah, let's let's go and let's go this Sunday. And we'll see what this is all about. I came in. Everybody here just accepted me. How you doing? Shook my hand. Service got underway. All of a sudden, I just felt God in this room. 
like I did in the hospital that day with Reba, that night with Reba. I felt God. He was pulling me. He pulled me to the aisle. All I remember is Billy Burke saying something about somebody with prostate problems. Boom, I was straight to the front of the line. That's the only place I probably don't have it or didn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> I cut line. I was right in there. I was right in there. But that there, that healing service there that day, I believe, has healed me. Because God has the power to heal, and I believe He healed me here in this house. Today, eight months later, like I said, the medicine is working, but I believe it's God. God is the one I have to give the credit to. 10%, that's not much of a chance. I'm here, and I'm improving. My legs are clean. I got a report about three or four weeks ago. My legs are clean. My lungs are clean. My brain is clean. My brain is clean. I attribute all this to God. Doctor told me when this all first started. <clears throat> And I'll never forget these words, because I remember them daily. Being the John Wayne guy that I am, he broke it down into simple terms. He said, the tiger, Rick, the tiger is bitten. It's just a matter of time. I was like, the tiger is bitten. It's just a matter of time. Basically, this cancer is going to drag me into the woods and get me. Don't let uh, statistics or look at statistics or listen to others because there's only one person that's God in your life. Only one person God in your life. you got to put your belief in God and trust in God as He is the one that's taking care of us. Give all the glory to Him. And that was the second place Christ's blood was shed. My name is Susie Phillips, and you have just watched Jesus' internal bleeding. It's extremely difficult for me, and I know for every one of you, to watch what we just watched. And we saw the massive amounts of blood that Jesus shed externally, his external wounds. But what we don't see is what happened to him internally. And I was studying... Um, about the crucifixion in the book of John and I wanted to read to you uh, John 19 verses 33 and 34 and it says but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead they break not his legs but one of the soldiers with a spear with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out water and blood and I, while I was studying the concordance on that in the Dakes Bible, under blood and water, it said, It is believed by some that Christ's heart was actually ruptured as a consequence of the mental agony and sorrow because of the sins and sickness of men. That the blood flowed through the break into the membrane of the heart and became mixed with the water in the heart sack and that that mixture of blood was water, and it's what poured out of Christ as blood and water. And I just want to, I'm going to mainly read what I feel like the Holy Spirit led me to study and find on inner healing, because this internal bleeding and hurt that Jesus suffered was for our inner healing. As a single human being, meaning just our one person, the burdens of our sins and sickness alone is almost unbearable for us. And for many, it becomes fatal. So can you even fathom the burden, the agony, and the pain that Jesus went through to carry the sickness of the whole world 
It's just simply unimaginable for us. And it's impossible for any of us to conceive that the true heartache and agony and pain that Jesus suffered physically and mentally during the events that led up to the crucifixion. And not only that, but he was also separated from his own father. What kind of a person would put their self through that? And what kind of a father would allow that to happen? Well, I can tell you that our Heavenly Father is the only one that I can think of. And Jesus was made in his exact image. And the reason for it was love. It was just true, pure love. God's love is a love that knows no limits. Our minds are not even able to comprehend no limits. It's deeper than any ocean. It's wider than any universe itself. It's wider than the whole universe. And it's higher than the skies that we look up into. And His love is bigger and greater and more full than we could ever wrap our minds around. He so loved the world that He gave. He gave. He gave the only thing that meant, he gave the thing that meant the most to him. He gave his only son. And his only son gave his life. And he gave his life for us. Not only did he shed his precious innocent blood to rid us of sin. And to take away our diseases and sickness. But he bled out his blood so that we could walk in total wholeness. Including healing us on the inside. This is inner healing. Between our sins and our sickness, there's an area that the scripture calls infirmities. Just beneath our concealing protective masks are places where there are damaged emotions that affect how we act out our daily lives. I call these soul wounds. Deep emotional scars caused from painful memories from our past. In order for us to be fully healed and for us to be able to bring our lives into a more intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior. And to, uh, these memories must be uncovered and healed by Jesus. Only He can bring full healing to our inner self. In this process of inner healing, Jesus uncovers these painful memories piece by piece. And He peels them off layer by labor, one at a time. You know, I'm just recently, I have been raised in church all my life, but only since the last 10 months have I really been a new creature in Christ and have become um, intimate with Him and know Him. And I'm telling you, even just being born again and experiencing your new birth in Christ and even by the infilling of the Holy Spirit doesn't automatically Heal those areas. Prayer, discipline, and willpower alone will not bring us to that peaceful place. A special healing is needed. And we must unlearn all of our old ways of acting based on circumstances and our emotional trauma and scars. And let the word of the Father teach us the new way of thinking and acting. If we can become aware of wanting a more intimate relationship with Jesus and begin to trust Him more, then we can open our hearts to healing and allow His love to deeply and graciously penetrate our hearts. Out of the gifts of the Holy Spirit comes the gift of inner healing. When Jesus healed, He healed not only physical ills, but He also spilled uh uh, healed spiritual and emotional ills. Inner healing deals mainly with restoring our emotional and spiritual health. 
During this process of inner healing, we become more like Jesus. If we continue to carry the old hurts and fears, we are hindered from becoming like Jesus. But Jesus made it possible for us to realize that we can find the perfect peace that passes all understanding. Most of us have been hurt by the words of others, and they try to keep us in the pit, the very pit that Jesus delivered us out of, and it's a shame. And sometimes it seems impossible to overcome the hurt that those words create because they penetrate so deep into our soul. But through our own experiences, Jesus Christ reaches to the deepest, most inner parts of our souls. And with just one touch, he begins to heal those painful wounds. And his Holy Spirit speaks truth to my spirit and tells me who I really am in Christ Jesus and what my true identity is because I'm covered in the precious blood of a spotless sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. And the greatest cry of God today is to set His children free. He longs and wants more than anything for us to be free in Him. He loves us so much that He hurts when we hurt because this is how great His love is for us. At times for all, it's time for all of us to realize that it comes down to this. It is not between me and you or me and them. It is between me and God. And he is all that matters. And when we call upon Jesus to heal us, he knows exactly where we are. And he knows exactly how to do it because he sees all. And little by little, he begins to cut away the barbed wire that keeps us in bondage. He bled out grace and mercy. It was his gift to us. And he wants nothing more than for us to receive what he so generously gave. And my prayer for all of you is that you will look back to the cross where Jesus bled internally for your inner healing. Because that was the third place that Christ's blood was shed. Ms. Linda Jarvis, you have just watched Jesus' crown of thorns. <laughs> I have dealt with this ever since Pastor asked me to speak. The crown of the sharp thorns shoved on his head made me think of the attacks that we are under. Attacks on our minds, how they affect our emotions and our physical beings but how we can learn to have victory over these attacks. They come at the most unexpected times. They are sharp, painful jabs. Sometimes they come slowly. We can feel them. We know. We feel the pressure building. They wound us. We make reactive decisions. And so many times that these aren't the right ones that we can do. We have been hurt. We hurt back. Or we was withdrawing to ourselves. If we are immature in our relationship with Christ, which I have been for many, many years, each time the thorns prick our stabs, it has only reminds us what we have done. And we either continue or either accelerate the behavior that we have adopted to handle this. And it's most often self-destructive, emotionally, mentally, and physically. How often have we literally made ourselves sick just from our reactions, just in dwelling on it, from one of these fiery darts that have come upon us? It is only by God's grace alone that I am even here. The harm that I have done to myself through my reactions without even thinking of the consequences, because at the time I didn't care. I was hurt so bad that I, I didn't care what the outcome was. It didn't bother me at all. As we come to know him and we start building our relationship with him, we are able to more easily recognize some of the things that are coming at us when the little pricks start happening. 
we, we, we learn to handle them pretty good. And when we do, we think, oh, we were really doing good. We are on it. We rebuke it. We get it under control, and it kind of goes away, and we think, that wasn't quite so bad. But when the big ones come, when the sledgehammer will hit you, they catch us off guard. We stagger under the attack. Sometimes we are brought to our knees. I know how I react. My mind starts racing. It's just one thing after another. It's like I can't get my thoughts under control. And I'm questioning. I say, why? Why? What is this happening? What's going on? Why is it happening to me? What am I supposed to do? What can I do? And while I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, then I have to start doing what I had been learning over the years of coming to the harvest through the teaching that I had been receiving. And I start calling on him. I start out simple with whatever comes. It's Jesus usually. I think it's the only name that we can grab a hold of that really works. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I start saying, Lord, help me. I need you, Lord. I need you now. Help me, Lord. And then I start trying so hard. I say, Lord, I praise you in the storm. I praise you in the storm. I give you the glory. I start praising him. I start trying to fill my mind with praise for him. I glorify him. I worship him. I call out all the names that I can even think of. I said, you are El Shaddai. You are Jehovah. You are Yahweh. There is none other like you. You are the great I am. I want his attention, and I know that when I call out to him in my pain, that he really hears me. And I think of Michael Waring in the heavenlies trying to get to me to let me know that, that he has heard me and that something is coming my way. Sometimes I will just start singing the old songs that I grew up with, mostly Baptist hymnals. But I will sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I say, Jesus, the sweetest name I know. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. I say, Lord, give me your peace. Let me feel your presence. Let me feel your arms around me. You're just your breath on my face, Holy Lord. And then I've got this little line that I have started saying. I've caught myself when I'm in my painful going on. And I'm singing over and over. Sometimes I'm just saying it. Sometimes I sing it. I get this little tune to go with it. And I say, bless the Lord on my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. And I get busy. I clean house. I do dishes. I clean closets. I mop floors, whatever it is, because I get physically busy. Because my mind is busy praising him. And then at some point, it's like I just stop midstream. It's just all of a sudden, and I'm singing, bless the Lord on my soul. And it's like the air has gone out of the room. And it's like, oh, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes it's just for a few minutes or a few hours. And the text will come back because the situation is not over. And it's going to come back and it's going to hit us again. But when you get through that and when you start building your strength by doing that, the next when you feel it coming back, you, you've got your armor out already. You are ready. You're prepared. You know that here it comes again. And we start all over again saying, Lord, I praise you. Lord, I praise you. And we don't give up. In this scene that we saw uh, when she's going to him, and she is remembering when he was a child, and there's not a parent here that hasn't done the very same thing. You hear that cry. You recognize that cry. There's, there's nothing like it. And our immediate response is to go. Go get that child. And we gather that child up and we say, It's okay. It's okay. I am here. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And isn't that what he does for us? When we cry out to him. And we're saying, Oh, Jesus, Jesus. He comes and he gathers us up. And he comforts us. And it's going to be okay. Because he makes all things new. I have a verse of Isaiah 26.3 that came to me during all of this. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. And this was the fourth place that Christ's blood was shed.
My name is Ashley Cedarquist. And you just watched the soldiers drive a spike through each of Christ's hands. In that moment, Jesus shed his blood to fulfill an empty space in each and every one of us. The empty space that longs for acceptance. The empty space that longs for love. God's hands are always there to embrace you and to fulfill that gap. The embrace of God's hands can wipe away the feeling of being taken advantage of, of abuse, of the hurtful words. It can wipe away all the things that make you feel ashamed or useless, regardless of your history. He can make you whole again. His blood was shed for you and me. I have leaned on his unconditional love. A love I can't even fathom. He loves us despite our past. No matter what happens, he's still there. Because he is love. His hands were nailed to the cross so that he could show all his children his greatest love of all. And that was the fifth place the blood fell. just witnessed, witnessed the piercing of Jesus' feet. I want to talk to you about his intentional love for you. Jesus said to Peter when he cut off the servant's ear, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once Send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He made his choices precisely to see to it that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Intentional. By his repeated expressions to go into Jerusalem and to the very jaws of the lion that it talks about in Mark 10.32. Intentional by the words he spoke through Isaiah. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. He chose not to do what have been immediately just in his case. Intentional. The way Peter explains how this is possible. First Peter 2 and 23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Intentional, perhaps the clearest statement that Jesus makes about his own intentions to die is in John 10. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. His voluntary act. Who volunteers for this? 
who intentionally goes through this for love. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We should feel the intensity of his love for us to the degree that we see his intent to suffer and to die for you and I. Every single step that Jesus took said, I love you. There's a parable of tomorrow says, I looked at the mountain and said, it's too hard, Lord. I cannot climb. Take my hand, he whispered, and I will be your strength. I saw the road. It's too long, Lord, I said. So rough and long. Take my love, he answered, and I will guard your feet. I looked at the sky. The sun is gone, I said. Already the way grows dark. Take the lantern of my word, he whispered, that will light enough. We climb, and the road was narrow and steep, but the way was bright, and when the thorns reached out, they found his hand before they touched my own. And when my path grew rough, I knew it was his love that kept my feet from stumbling. Then I grew very tired. I can go no farther, Lord, I said. And he answered, night is gone. Look up, my child. I looked and it was dawn, green valley stretched below. I can go on alone now, I said. And then he saw, then I saw the marks. Lord, thou art wounded. Thy hands are bleeding. Thy feet are bruised. Was it for me? He whispered, I did it gladly. Then I fell at his feet. Lord, lead me on, I cried. No road too long, no valley too deep, if thou art with me. And we walk together now and shall forever. This is the sixth place where Christ's blood fell. My name is Jason Resto, and you just witnessed the piercing of Jesus' side. Historically, kings have scoured the earth in search of earth and water. Historically, kings have stripped nations of their name, of their inheritance. Historically, kings have taken people captive for their own benefit. But I know of a king today who has made all things new again who has returned his children's name to them, who has given back their inheritance. I know of a king who is good, who is just and righteous. I know of a king who laid down his life so that Jason Resto can be the man that he is today. The reason that I am the man that I am today is not because I read a book or a journal, but because I've studied the life of Christ. I am reminded of Jesus' sacrifice going back to Exodus chapter 12 when God was preparing Israel to leave Egypt to the promised land. And there God commanded Moses and Aaron to sacrifice, that each family should sacrifice a lamb without blemish. As they sacrificed this perfect lamb, they were to take the blood of this lamb and apply it to each doorpost. And the reason is because the angel of death was to visit every home of the firstborn and take their life. Except that the children of Israel, in obedience, applied the blood to their doorposts. So the angel of death passed over. No harm came to that household. You see, there is power in the blood of Jesus. The power is the same yesterday today and tomorrow. I look across this building, this room this evening, and I see a host of witnesses who have claimed and claimed the blood of Christ, who are victors and more than conquerors because Jesus says, it is finished. 
It is finished. And what Jesus is also saying as we go back to Exodus chapter 12, as the angel passed over, Jesus is saying to me today, Jason, keep applying the blood to the doorposts of your heart. Where Jesus is standing and saying, when depression tries, tries to knock on my door, Jesus says, it is finished. You shall not pass. When sickness tries to knock on my heart and on my body, the blood of Christ says, pass over. It is finished. When, when, when my shame and my past um, shortcomings try to remind me of, of what I've done and where I've failed, Jesus says, this shall not pass. It is finished. Jesus conquered sin and death forever. And even as you witness in this clip, the soldier pierced Jesus' side was the recipient of a blessing. How righteous is that? How righteous is our Lord and Savior that when I take the, the, the spear and pierce his side, he says, Jay, I cover you with my blood and my water. Jay, you have my DNA and you have my Holy Spirit to overcome and be a conqueror. To know that I have laid my life down, you can be the person you are today. Jesus is a righteous king who has not come to strip you of anything but yourself, your selfishness, and let him fill you with his goodness. And that was the seventh place where the blood of Christ was shed. Cross and the cross, where I first saw the light, the burden of my heart rolled away. Because there, by faith, I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. How could we possibly rejoice this evening after seeing what we have seen? Because we have a promise that we'll never go through that. We will never pay. For our sins and transgressions we will not die for our failures and mistakes because he died once and for all and we can live forevermore and we can start living today we have to wait till we get older we're in the hospital and get a negative report but today god wants your best and he wants to give you his best seven times we visited the place where his blood was shed every time it secured something for you and I. Every time it made us stronger, it made us more able to take on the, the battles and the struggles that we are in. Whether you've been serving the Lord for a day or a decade, there are struggles and there are battles and there are things that you have to endure. One of my spiritual sons Twitter something last night that so touched my heart. Scott Thomas said, he dropped the cross because he knew we would drop it. He dropped the cross to let us know that we are human and we can make big declarations and we can have good intentions, but there will be times when we will fail, the times when we will stumble, and times we feel like that we have, we have failed him, only to realize that he too dropped the cross and someone helped him carry it. I hope today that someone has showed you a side of God that you haven't seen before. It would be sad to leave this moment and not accept Christ as your Savior. May I pray with you? Father Paul said, I glory in nothing except the power of the cross. For it is the power of the cross that turns men's sins and allows us to pursue salvation. It's not 
a work. It's a gift. It's not something we deserve or merit or purchase. It's something that we simply ask for and we receive. And with that gift comes much responsibility. With that gift much comes much prayer, intercession, and declaration search. For we have been changed at the cross. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. More now is expected of us. Our light is intended to shine so that others that are stumbling could see that clear path that Pastor Connie talked about tonight. Let us never forget the price your son paid. Let us realize, as you realize, it only happened a couple of days ago. It's still fresh in your mind. Let it always be fresh in our mind. The price that was paid for our freedom, for our victory, that, that we can walk in all that you have for us and be, be heir to all that you have declared. Whether we are dying of a cancer, whether we're in high school going through struggles, or we've been serving a long, a long time and we're, and we're discouraged, every one of those places tonight you have met us and you've encouraged us and you've blessed us. And for that, we are grateful. Time after time after time, Jesus took a loaf of bread. And there was something about the way he took that bread. The Bible says he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. I believe that every time that Jesus took the bread, he focused towards that day that was ahead. He said, Father, what should I say? Save me from this hour. But for this hour came on into the world. Every sacrifice of every Passover, every time a lamb's life was taken, Jesus looked toward that day. Every time he took that bread and broke that bread, he reflected on the whipping post, the crown of thorns, the bruises, the nails in his feet, the nails in his hands. Every time he took that bread, he reflected, I believe on this evening of 2011, that there would be a body that would receive what he has offered for them. When he took that bread and broke it, and he said, eat of this, this represents my body. And he took that juice and said, drink of this, this represents my blood. I can't help but reflect that he is referred to two or three times in the Bible as the great physician. As an ex-drug addict, I can tell you that there have been many, many times when I put things in my body, under my tongue, my eyelids, between my toes, expecting something to happen when I swallowed that pill or took that drink or, or inherited that needle. I expected there to be a change. I expected something to happen. Cancer patients so desperately believe that chemo is going to heal them. Those that are, those that are sick believe that medicine they put in their mouth will heal them. Tonight I'm here to tell you that when you take the Eucharist, when you take that bread, that represents his brokenness and you dip it in that blood that represents that, that juice that represents his blood there is to be such a season of expectancy there should be there, there should be such a, a fervor of anticipation we tonight should should recklessly pursue the Eucharist the body of Christ we should recklessly look back and reflect on the things of the world how we expected a quaalude or a Demerol or something to help us or heal us or get us to a state tonight the broken body of Jesus and the blood that he shed if you will take it he said eat of me I am meek and lowly come unto me my burden is easy and my yoke is light as we get ready to take part in the, the, the communion I've asked the staff to help me I believe there are about a hundred here tonight and so we've taken a loaf of bread and we've broken it into a hundred pieces so tonight, this loaf of bread represents this congregation, this fellowship. Each one of these pieces of bread are a part of the whole. The whole is not complete without your piece. This puzzle that we are putting together for the, for the will of the Father, this puzzle will never be complete if your piece is not where it's supposed to be. That's how much God deems you important. That's how much God values you tonight as a part of the family of God. God values so much that he gave his son to die, to take your place. I reflect a few days ago as we were at the lake and 
and we were swimming from one point to another without a life preserver and I got to thinking what would happen if one of the kids couldn't make it to the dock and in my mind I saw myself in the water pushing them towards the safe place pushing them towards the safe place and I reflect Jesus at Calvary pushed us towards a safe place and gave his life so we could make it to the pier gave his life so we could make it to dry land gave his life so we could make it to safety that's what it means greater love hath no man than this to lay down his life or his friends. Pastor Ron is going to come and, and help me. There is no right way to take communion. There's no wrong way to take communion. We can come as a family. We want to come as a family. If you'll take that piece that represents you, and you'll take that piece that represents your brokenness, no matter what hurt, no matter what pain, no matter what limitation, no matter what paranoia, what fear, what 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 trial, what storm, what drama you're going through tonight, I promise you, if you'll take that which represents your failure, your mistake, your hurt, your sin, your 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 terror, your fear, and you'll dip it in that juice that represents his blood, and you'll swallow that as a as a as a patient would say, would take something from a doctor being told, if you take this, this will heal you. I believe tonight some hearts can be mended. I believe some nights some marriages can be restored. I believe tonight some physical problems can be solved. I believe tonight the blood of Jesus, the stripes upon his back, will apply to you. And tonight you can be healed. I'm going to ask you to help me to come as, as a family, come as you would like to come. And then you can either partake there with me, or you can take it to a place in the building, take it back to your seat. But I would like to conclude this service tonight back in our seats in, in the sanctuary is have a closing prayer. Dean, are you here? Would you come and help me serve the body? Dean is our head deacon, a precious man of God that's been with me for years and years and years. I trust him.
us, provides them for us. A word of my vocabulary that I try to use with my children and those that I love is when they ask me something, I try to respond. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tonight, whatever we've asked God for, I believe that God responds. Absolutely. Absolutely will I do that for you. Absolutely will I make that happen. Absolutely will I take that away. Absolutely will I heal that. Absolutely will I put good, good things in your life. Absolutely will I remove things that will hurt you. Absolutely I'll restore. Absolutely I'll bless. Absolutely I'll provide. I, I will take care of you. Absolutely. It's in my power to do it. It's in my power to give it. And I give it. Absolutely. He's an absolute God. 